This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 88 The Pascagoula Abduction On the evening of October 11th, 1973, two men, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker, were fishing on the banks of the Pascagoula River in Mississippi when they had a close encounter with what they believed to be extraterrestrial beings. The events that followed would lead to be one of the most well-documented and controversial cases of alien abduction in history. According to their account, while fishing, Hickson and Parker heard a strange whirring sound behind them. Turning around, they spotted a haze of blue lights coming from across the river. They watched as the lights reflected off the water, almost as if they were moving from side to side or in a pattern. Calvin immediately assumed they were police lights and worried that they were in trouble. As the blue lights approached them, they saw a large, oval-shaped craft hovering just a few feet above the ground. The craft was approximately 40 feet long, with a rounded dome on top and pulsating blue-green lights around its perimeter. Suddenly, three creatures appeared from the craft and approached the two men. The beings were described as being approximately 5 feet tall, with wrinkled gray skin like that of an elephant, crab-like claws for hands, and lacking visible eyes, nose, or a mouth. They were described as having a pear-shaped body with small legs and feet, and seemed to move in an odd, almost mechanical way. Hickson and Parker were frozen in fear as the beings grabbed them and carried them aboard the craft. The men reported feeling weightless and unable to move as they were taken inside. At the door, the men were injected with something that made them no longer scared and allowed them to feel peaceful. Once on board, they were separated and taken to separate rooms for examination. Hickson reported that he was subjected to a series of medical tests, including having a device placed over his nose and mouth that made him feel like he was suffocating. Meanwhile, Parker lay on an examination table made of glass. At that point, the same gray wrinkled being that brought him onto the ship walked into the room. Suddenly, a large robotic eye came out from the ceiling. It circled around him while making a series of clicking noises, similar to an MRI. The eye then changed directions back into the ceiling, 
After that, a smaller being entered the room. Somehow, this made Parker feel more at ease. He couldn't move his body, but was able to turn his head in the direction of the being. To his surprise, the being looked very normal and ordinary. In all ways, she appeared to be human, aside from two long middle fingers. Without saying a word, the being put its left hand on Parker's jaw and opened his mouth. She then took her right hand and started running it down his throat, causing him to gag. Her finger scratched it and caused it to bleed. After the being removed its hand, Parker felt something take over him, as if telling him that she did not want to hurt him anymore. She then let out a loud groan from deep within her throat. A moment later, the same odd-skinned creature that brought him in picked him up off the table and carried him out of the ship and onto the bank of the river. After the men were reunited, they fled in terror. Upon getting back to their car, they found the passenger side window shattered. They then drove to the Jackson County Sheriff's Office, where they reported the incident to authorities. The account given by Hickson and Parker was incredibly detailed and consistent, and the two men underwent extensive questioning and medical examinations by military and civilian authorities. Despite intense scrutiny, their story remained unchanged leading many to believe that their experience was genuine. Following their harrowing experience, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker found themselves at the center of a media frenzy. News of their alleged alien abduction spread quickly, and reporters from across the country descended upon Pascagoula to cover the story. At first, the two men were hesitant to speak to the media, but eventually agreed to do so in the hopes of getting their story out to the public. In interviews with reporters, they recounted the terrifying experience that they had endured, describing the strange creatures and the unusual medical procedures that they had been subjected to. As news of the incident spread, Hickson and Parker began to receive numerous requests for interviews and appearances on talk shows and other programs. Hickson even appeared on the popular television show, The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson, where he recounted his experience to a national audience. In addition to the reporters, ufologist Dr. J. Allen Hynek and Dr. James Harder arrived in Pascagoula within 36 hours of the incident to interview and hypnotize Hickson and Parker. They spent time with the men and despite their skepticism, they determined that the men had in fact experienced something of the paranormal phenomena. The attention brought by the media frenzy had a profound effect on the two men, as well as on the wider world of UFO research and alien encounters. The incident helped to legitimize the study of UFOs and other paranormal phenomena, and brought increased attention to the possibility of extraterrestrial life. However, the case also highlighted the dangers and challenges of being thrust into the spotlight of the media and public attention. Hickson and Parker were forced to endure intense scrutiny and criticism, and their lives were forever changed by the incident. They eventually lost their jobs due to reporters constantly showing up at their place of business, 
It became so bad that Parker changed his name from Calvin to Randy. The two men suffered from public ridicule. Not many believed them, including their friends and family. They became increasingly withdrawn and paranoid, fearing that they were being watched and followed by government agents or other entities. Parker, in particular, struggled to cope with the aftermath of the incident and reportedly suffered from nightmares and other symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Despite the challenges they faced, Hickson and Parker continued to stand by their story. Following their report of the Pascagoula abduction, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker were interviewed extensively by various law enforcement and military officials. The investigation into the incident was a thorough one and involved a number of different agencies and individuals. One of the first officials to interview Hickson and Parker was Deputy Glenn Ryder of the Jackson County Sheriff's Department. Ryder was initially skeptical of their claims, but was impressed by the consistency and detail of their story. He recommended that the two men undergo a polygraph examination to further verify the truth of their account. The polygraph tests were conducted by a local private investigator who concluded that the men were telling the truth. The tests were repeated several times by different examiners, all of whom reached the same conclusion. The results of the tests were included in the official report on the case, which was compiled by the U.S. Air Force. The Air Force investigation report on the Pascagoula incident concluded that the case was probably not a hoax and that there was no evidence of fraud or deception on the part of the witnesses. The report also noted that the witnesses appeared to be sincere and consistent in their accounts of the incident. In addition to the polygraph tests, Hickson and Parker were also subjected to physical examinations and interviews by medical professionals and other investigators. These examinations revealed no signs of physical trauma or injury, but did confirm the presence of unusual markings on Hickson's arm, which he claimed were caused by the creature's claws. Despite the thorough investigation, there were still those who remained skeptical of Hickson and Parker's story. Some suggested that the incident was a hoax, or a misinterpretation of natural phenomena, while others speculated that the men may have been under the influence of drugs or alcohol at the time of the encounter. However, the consistency and detail of the men's accounts, as well as the lack of any clear motive for a hoax or deception, have led many to believe that something truly extraordinary occurred on the banks of the Pascagoula River that fateful evening in October of 1973. The Pascagoula abduction case represents a pivotal moment in the history of UFO research and alien encounters. The incident helped to legitimize the study of UFOs and other paranormal phenomena and brought increased attention to the possibility of extraterrestrial life. The thorough investigation of the case by law enforcement and military officials, 
as well as the corroborating testimony of witnesses, adds to the credibility of the claims made by Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker. Despite the continuing mystery and controversy surrounding the case, it remains an enduring symbol of our ongoing search for answers to some of the biggest questions of our time. The legacy of the Pascagoula abduction case will continue to inspire curiosity and fascination for generations to come, and will serve as a reminder of the enduring mystery and wonder of the universe. Welcome campers to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now the debrief. Now the debrief. All right. Pascagoula. I feel like this is one that we've had for, like, in the works for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd have to agree. I mean, it's definitely been on the list out of... I mean, it's... A classic, right? Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. we say that about a lot, of, a lot of these, but <laughs> this is—it's one of the classics. Like, I mean, this is like shortly after Betty and Barney Hill. I mean, this is one of the ones that really kind of brought a lot of, you know, a lot of that shit to light. And at a time where the idea of aliens and UFOs and everything was extremely taboo, yeah, and. You know, we have this massive case that literally changes history um, and it's continued to, you know, to this day now with like even new new things bring, being brought to light, yeah. um, you know, and with Charles, uh, Charles's death and, and all of that. Calvin now finally coming to terms with everything and being open about what happened because he refused to Calvin or Charles was always the one, you know, in the spotlight and telling a story and. Calvin didn't want that. He didn't want to be associated with that. He didn't want to be a mockery and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's such a... It is. It's it's kind of mon- like monumental when you look at it that way. I've always kind of put this in the same... And I know it's... It's it's sort of like a, it's a strange association that I made over time somehow. But I've, I always put this in the same category with Flatwoods. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Like the the images that you get from this story are are super unique in the same way Flatwoods is you know i and, i agree um especially the beings the yeah. these aliens if you will you know i mean very robotic just like flatwoods was yeah, yeah. i i get this weird feeling in the story that the the things that people think of the beings that people think of as the, you know, Pascagoula alien, I think are like, I get a feeling that they're almost like forklifts for the, for the actual aliens. You know what I mean? They're like, like they're doing all the heavy lifting basically. Yeah. Or maybe they're all not the even alive. Work. Right. Yeah. Maybe they're just I, like mech suits. Agreed. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's actually, that's, that's my exact view. Does yeah. that mean there's the scene where Calvin is, uh, you know, uh, he's under under the or on the exam table, mm-hmm. and that one of those beings, things, robotic mechanical things, brought him in, and then this almost human esque person woman. or thing, woman, comes in, 
and yeah. she actually does everything. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I definitely I think they're more like, you know, they they do all like the grunt shit. They're there they're like to equipment. take the people, right? Yeah. Yeah. The woman. My favorite detail is that her middle fingers are really long. <laughs> so so there's this interview that Calvin's talking. He's like, he's like, you know, if I if I had a few drinks in me and I saw her from across the bar, he's like, I'd probably ask her out. Wow. You know, he's like, she, she looked very, very humanly. He's like, yeah. but really the big the biggest thing was these two middle fingers were apparently <laughs> very long. <laughs> that's so odd yeah but uh you know i bet she could do a rectal examination <laughs> almost certainly <laughs> uh, okay so <laughs> that brings I, a whole new meaning to pegging oh god um i like the setting <laughs> anyhow yeah super anyhow yeah um i dig the I setting like the- too I like that they're just like chilling on the banks of the river fishing and it's like kind of foggy and is it late night or early morning? It's, I forget. Um, it's in the evening. So, okay. uh, so what to kind of give a backstory cause I don't really do it in the actual story itself. So Calvin, um, he, he was working a job where he was working like 16 plus hour days working almost every day and he recently had gotten engaged and so he reached out to Charles um and asked him you know hey like do you, do you I'm looking for new work like I'm about to get married you know I want to be able to be there for my wife and whatever else so Charles gets him a job with him um so they're there they decide to take a late lunch I think it's like four 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 thirty five o'clock in the afternoon um when they decide to go uh to go to this uh this this fishing spot and at first like they end up having some problems there and the bugs are too bad and they're you know so they end up going to this spot that Charles knew about that they end up having to kind of hike through because it's like the way that the water comes up uh it leaves a lot of debris on the you know on the bank and there's also a lot of like just trash and shit like that that's out in this area sure. I think he mentioned that there was like a couple refrigerators just chilling there, you know, down by the water wow. and stuff. Uh, but there's like this hidden pier that they walk out or this hidden dock, basically that they walk out onto and pull this, you know, big log out there and decide to fish for a few hours. Yeah. So yeah, it's like early evening, but it ends up, uh, you know, they end up being there for a few hours fishing and everything. Um, and I think this actually happens because, there's a couple uh, encounters that will, or well, I guess people that have came, um, you know, that have kind of shed light on the situation later. Um, okay. That kind of mention roughly timelines and things like that that we didn't really have a hundred percent before. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, it's it's evening. Yeah. Nice. I. And when the when they first see the lights, I know like, one of them thinks. Like, oh shit, did I park illegally or something? Like, they, they think they're in trouble for well, something. Calvin thought that they weren't supposed to be there because Charles knew of this spot and, you know, tells him, oh yeah, it's fine. So his immediate assumption is like, oh shit, we're in trouble. We're not actually supposed to be here. Yeah. And then, so they both turn around and watch this big 40 foot craft slowly descend and 
you know, hover with basically two, what, two feet above the ground or something. With a whirring noise. Yeah, yeah, they right? hear the whirring sound first after that, yep. Yeah, that's interesting. So is this craft, like, classic saucer, or is it, like, football-shaped? Well... Because I've seen both. Yeah, that I, that's that's how I've seen, I've seen it as well. And it's more so described as, like, just this blue light at first. And okay. then kind of this just oval-shaped craft. Gotcha. Okay. And then <clears throat> they're pretty taken aboard, right? Like, three yeah. of the forklifts come out. Yeah, I mean, the the way that they described it is, as soon as they see that happening, they're, like, frozen in place, like, completely terrified and not knowing what to think. And all of a sudden, these three weird-looking mummified beings come out. Right. Which, these things are weird. You know, weird weird to describe. Because uh, they describe it as being, like, wrinkly, almost like elephant-like skin. Which, if you look at some of the pictures, they remind me of kind of, like, mummies, in a sense. Yeah. Uh, they have sort of like that banded look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. and then they have no discernible like eyes, face, or nose or anything, but they have these kind of spikes or pointed uh, points coming from where their ears would most likely be, and where their yeah. mo- their nose would most likely be. It's like just like cylindrical protrusions, right? That come yeah. like out of the front and the sides. Yeah, very so weird. weird, dude. Yeah, agreed. So I mean, if we if we go on this whole like they are completely mechanical, robotic, you know, whatever else. Yeah. Do you think those would be more like uh, maybe antennae or something? Maybe. Yeah. Some kind okay. of receivers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell. I it's mean, what obviously... o- what other purpose would, <laughs> would that yeah. random that randomness you know serve? Right. Maybe it's like uh, sam- for sampling purposes. Like they just dip their little protrusion into the dirt and you know, maybe yeah suck something up. Maybe instead of when they inject them with something, because all they see they feel like this piercing feeling, and all of a sudden they're they feel like this almost like euphoric sense of feeling or whatever, yeah. and everything's fine. I wonder if they just like jab them with their pointy end. <laughs> I mean that could definitely be the case. Stick them with I the like pointy the, end. They just headbutt them. Yeah. And then they're peaceful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, maybe. That is like a classic a classic abduction thing though, is this like it's almost like they have this um this um psychic ability to just change their mood. To change the abductee's mood. Yeah, yeah, it's it I mean that's that's like common with, with all of this, right? Yeah. And I and I and I understand that. I mean, that honestly, it just makes sense. It makes sense to me that they, because especially throughout this whole thing, they never speak. It's all almost yeah. telepathically, right? Yeah. Um, like when Calvin is, is, uh, she like jabs her fingers down his throat and plays with his hangy ball. He like starts <laughs> like gagging and stuff and she takes him out and he like almost hears like this, this message basically telling, you know, we're not going to hurt you anymore. Yeah. Um yeah, that's actually in an interview he said. Yeah, they're like it was like they were trying to play with my my hangy ball on the back of my throat. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which hey, that's is... what the long middle fingers are for. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a <laughs> pleasure spot. That's what was so like that's what was so 
bizarre about the when we covered Linda Napolitano, her story. Yeah. Was like if you remember the aliens at one point she's screaming and they're like, Shut up, be quiet. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like Yeah. Uh. Cause it's always so like they just have control over no, the that abductees. Wasn't, that wasn't mood. Linda Napolitano, that was uh Kelly Cahill. Was it? I think. I thought it was the Cahill I, case. It, yeah, yeah, it was. I think I thought it was Linda. Wait, it might, oh man, I don't know. At this point, they're they're all kind of coming together. Yeah, it's one of those I think two. It's Linda. It, was, it was one of the women women abductions. Yeah, because they might did have been lots of weird. Yeah, because they did lots of weird, like sort of tactile things that were more like physical than you would expect. Right. Yeah. In the Napolitano case. Yeah, because Cahill, she was like shoved to the ground. Yeah. Which is also weird. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, in this, like, he mentions, like, two of the beings grab uh, Charles and one of the beings grabs Calvin. And they almost, like, levitate. Like, they just rise yeah. up off the ground and levitate into the craft. Exactly. They just touch them and then they're weightless. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's Which is much more classic Agreed. abduction. Mm-hmm. It's... One thing that freaked me out from the story is they put a mask over one of their faces and yeah. it, it, it like they're suffocating under yeah, the that mask. Yeah, that was that happened with Charles, which some of you know, like, and this is um, you can it, as as we'll talk about later on. Um, there, there are there are the tapes we'll call sure. them. Um, of their initial interview with the Jackson County Police Department or the Sheriff's Department. Where we kind of find some of the, you know, some of this information out because it's like they go right there and it's all fresh. But yeah, and that was that was basically the gist of it is, you know, he felt like he was almost like suffocating. Um, But he also had this robotic eye Um, and they described it, I mean, as kind of like a big eye, but also kind of rough. Calvin says it's close to like the size of a deck of cards. Okay. Um, But it's an eye that like bigger. Yeah, like, um, he just kind of scans their face for a while and then does, like, this whole body, like, I mean, you know, it, they said it made, like, a clicking sound, almost like an MRI, right? You remember the episode of Doctor Who where they go inside the Dalek? They shrink down and go inside the yeah. Dalek? That's what this reminds me of, the, yeah. like, antibodies. That's fair, yeah. That like zoom up to them and scan them to see if they're a threat yeah, or not. I, I mean, that's that's probably a perfect example, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is just so doing this weird. show. Right. I, I have so many touchstones that come from Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> doing these aliens. Hey, I'm, it had to I come mean, the from best somewhere. Sci-fi, yeah, the best sci-fi seems to be based on yep. on details from these weird cases. But yeah, I, I, very weird. I do like the big eye. I guess I was I was thinking of more like a like a floating almost like um again a weird reference, but like in um Fallout. You know the um in Fallout 4, the like robot home assistant guy? Yeah, I'm you know? trying to I'm trying to picture it, but yeah, I know what you I know what you're talking about, yeah. So for a while, he doesn't have legs or anything. He's just sort of a floating thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I was picturing at first, yeah. but it's like much tighter, like the size of yeah. a, a deck of cards. So mm-hmm. that's even cooler. Or like in Destiny, there's uh, the 
Oh God! Now that it, now that I waited, <laughs> I can't think of the name. Whatever, still has yeah. similar like robotic eye looking thing. So it's like a floating magic eight ball. <laughs> yeah, let's let's call it that. <laughs> <laughs> All signs point to yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. So there, that happens. You know, they're they're both scanned. Um, Charles has that like weird suffocating feeling and everything. And then Calvin gets just mouth probed. Yeah. Um, there was a cool detail because I I remember listening to someone tell the cover the story a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I hadn't I didn't remember a lot of the details. But one of the details that stuck with me was the initial um, interview, the sheriff's office, where yeah. they do the interview. They have like a secret microphone in the interrogation room that yeah, they use. So, right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's, and that's they, the thing. they use it so that the, so that suspects will sit and talk to each other when they think no one's listening yep. and they can listen in and they're expecting them to like, admit oh, that we're, right. we're getting these fuckers. See, this but is, like, that's where it actually, cause before that, um, Ryder, the the sheriff or the first initial, yeah. you know, because there were two people that were interviewing them, didn't believe anything that they were saying. You yeah. know, yeah, their story, their story, of course, was consistent. Like regardless, like they hounded them, they asked them multiple questions, everything. Um, but it wasn't until they left the room, and they find out like this. That's where like if you listen to it, I mean, yeah, like the recount and everything is yeah, it's rough, but. What actually makes this more compelling is the fact that after they leave the room, they're basically like Calvin saying, like, they're not going to believe us. Like, we just need to go, you know, like they're going to try they and never take us character. away, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, nobody's going to believe us. Like, what point? Like, where? what is the point in us sitting here? Da, 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 da. And they're like freaking out because nobody's going to believe them and all this other stuff. And yeah, like it, it just makes it like that. It hits that much harder. Right. Yeah, because um, Calvin kind of had to be talked into even telling anyone, right? Even yeah, I mean, it, right. Because after it happened, they both agreed we're not gonna, we're not going to tell a single soul. Yeah. And then within a couple of minutes, Charles wanted to go to the police department. You know, yeah. they wanted to make sure they at least told like authorities. So Calvin yeah. agreed. Um, but yeah, they initially weren't going to tell anybody, and then Charles just kept going, <laughs> like. Calvin was so disinterested in this that he decided he would rather be called Randy than be an alien abductee. <laughs> so the Randy thing, I found, I found in a, I was, I can't, I, I, I have my, I have the source somewhere, but it was like it was the only time I found that come up that he had like changed his name or started going by yeah. Randy, um, which is so that's so weird, <laughs> random, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know as I was as I was reading, and you just started laughing after changing his name yeah. from Calvin to Randy. Like, yeah, it's so it's so just. <laughs> also, <laughs> just I mean, yeah. Sorry if you're a listener named Randy, but I don't think I, I would pick that say name. That. Yeah, that's I was I was about to go there, but I chose not to. Like, why not like Esteban or yeah, Esteban? You know, that's Nikolai. <laughs> some random name yeah maybe even marcusio that's a good one i like that <laughs> i mean why not go shakespearean 
Right? That's, that's what I'm going for. Yeah, your name. exactly. Yeah, Oberon. Ooh, that's a great one. Yeah. Power name. Mm-hmm. Not Randy. <laughs> Theseus. Ooh, Thaddeus. Okay. Thaddeus is a little weird. Thaddeus <laughs> is a little, uh, a little Amish. <laughs> Hezekiah. Feels a Amish to me. <laughs> Yeah. All right, we're not going okay. that route because that's not, that's that's gonna go bad. Um, anyhow, anyway. so um, but this ends up getting way more attention than just the local sheriff's office. Oh yeah, I mean it's so they they like they try to go to work the next day thinking yeah we just told the police like we haven't told anybody else and yeah. there's already reporters on scene when they show up. Um, news bummer. is already spread. Like somehow it's gotten out. Yeah, just as things do. I mean, you know, nothing is gonna stay stay sure. hidden forever, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So news gets out, and boom, they're being hounded. They're being hassled. You know, people are requesting interviews. It's taking yep. a toll on their jobs because I mean, people are there constantly, and they're not. Little Randy is like, see, Charles. You fucking asshole. I told you this was going to happen. Right, exactly. He was probably so pissed. <laughs> it's like, you ruined my fucking life. Yeah, they should have just called each other C. Yeah, exactly. See? See. So, it eventually gets the attention of JL and Hynek. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Was this and- an official Project Blue Book case? So... They Charles reached out to so this this is kind of the thing, um and I and if anybody knows for sure I I might be because I I have a, I've had an influx of information on this case that my timeline might be slightly incorrect or inaccurate so I apologize, um but yeah. it's to my understanding that Charles tried to reach out yeah I guess it would have been after the police after the sheriff's department because. Uh, I know that he tried to reach out, and they were basically like, "Project Blue Book is done," you know. Right. We're we're not doing any more of that. Like whatever. I thought it had officially ended by then. Yeah. Yeah. Well before that, right? Right, because this is seventy three. Yeah. Yeah. And that ended at what sixty eight, sixty nine? I think so. Mid sixties, yeah. end of sixties. Yeah. So yeah, they they were basically like, "Project Blue Book is done." Like, call you know, call your law enforcement. Yeah. Um, so that's where, like, I, I keep thinking this happened before they actually reached out to the police, but I thought that they, like, decided to go right there. So that's, again, that's where, you know, I, I guess I could pull something up really quick and just double check, but um, I, I didn't include that part just because, like, it wasn't technically part of Project Blue Book. This is just a few years before Close Encounters came out. So, right. like, Heineck yeah. was already, like, probably doing you know stuff with spielberg and all that by by this time well within 36 hours of the incident he and uh dr james harder yeah like literally 36 hours afterwards they were there that's crazy yeah i mean they obviously this is this is a massive case yeah you know and the fact that yeah nobody knew about these tapes you know of the interview Till well after the fact, like they Charles nor Calvin knew they didn't tell them that they were recording them. Um, they didn't find out till years later. Interesting. And then 
a lot of that is what kind of brought Calvin to finally want to tell a story. See, I I have some issues with the fact that he waited until Charles's death to start telling his story. Because, I mean, I guess I would have to dig in and hear his story compared yeah. to Charles's story. But, like, now there's no accountability. Well, like, yeah. he can pretty much just say whatever he wants. But, I mean, and, Charles also wrote two books before... Okay. Calvin even wrote his book. But so Calvin's like, now you finally other. get the story from Calvin's side sort of thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. But yeah, Charles wrote two books, and he was on many, many panels. He was part of a lot of uh, conventions and um, did a lot of presentations, like talked. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, he was like fully embraced by oh, the ufology. Yeah, completely. Scene. Yeah. He was very, very open about everything. I wonder if old Randy... Calvin may have just run out of money. Oh, Randers. <laughs> Do you think maybe Randers ran out of money? I don't know, because he also said that he didn't tell his wife. Okay. Like, he never wanted to even tell his wife. He wanted nothing to do with the thing. And I honestly, I don't think he just ran out of money, because the dude is... He's like, he's retired at this point. Yeah. And he even says, like, he had a, he had a long, you know, good life. Like, he... Everything, everything was good, peachy, whatever you want to call it. Like you know, um, we'll we'll continue. We'll get to a discussion that I've been kind of waiting to have, and I know it's going to get brought up here soon. But okay. uh, regardless, like yeah, he just talks about you know, like it was finally, um, you know, he finally just decided like, yeah, these tapes are now open; they're out to the public. You know, now he might as well just stand his ground and. You know, I guess yeah. own up to it. Okay, just whatever. So I like, figured maybe he just ran out of money, and writing a book was easier than selling his body <laughs> for cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So I. I honestly. I. Th- I think that it was. It was an actual like. You know, it, it wasn't just just to make money or something like that. I think okay. it was genuine. You know, he was right finally like, "Yeah, this is out. They're gonna hear. They're gonna hear a story, anyways. Why not yeah. like tell it as he wants to, or as right he on. feel like he needs? It feels like he needs to. So it was a reaction to the tapes coming out, really. Yeah, yeah, that's essentially that's, okay. It. Yep, gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, so who puts them through the polygraph? Like, whose idea is it? To so give them polygraph tests. The initial thing is the sheriff's department. After after learning, you know, hearing the fact that after the fact when you know they leave and everything, then yeah. finally buying into it, suggesting that they they undergo a polygraph test. After that, of course, they pass with flying colors, and then there were numerous others done by other individuals throughout the multiple interviews and studies that were done and I mean because even the Air Force didn't eventually get involved right see at first that made no sense to me at all and then you gave a an important detail which is the fact that the polygraph was actually conducted by a PI right by a private investigator right because the when you first said that I was like why would the police expend their resources investigating a case that has no victim no perpetrator no like and it's not like they're going to go arrest the aliens if they find out it's true (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but it makes so much more sense that they're, it became like a, they were personally invested in it and they're like, man, you should do this, like this polygraph test. And yeah, let's like, you know, be definitive. See, that's, that's my way of, of, I guess, interpreting that situation. Right. Yeah. It seems more personal, less like professional sheriff's office business. Yeah. And I mean, all the ones after that were just to make sure that they weren't bullshitting. Sure. Like, you know, obviously their stories never changed. They yeah. they remained very like straight, you know, straight to the facts and everything. Um, so like what better way of making sure that all of that lines up than undergoing another polygraph? Yeah. But yeah, still it, it makes sense. Yeah, it's still so kind Heineck of, kind of had them polygraph test also. Later. Um so Heineck and Dr. Harder, right? Um so the thing about them as they come and um so they they come to the area and I'm trying to go back to it dang it I should have just left it up uh hang on one second one second then I'll just cut this out yeah so when they arrived their whole goal was just to interview them right. and then Dr. Harder wanted to try and hypnotize the men yeah however Calvin was unable to be hypnotized. Despite how much he tried, he couldn't hypnotize him. Okay. However, somebody else could. Yeah, of course. Charles. Well, no. Char- yeah, Char- Charles was hypnotized, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they couldn't hypnotize Calvin. Like, you know, of course, like his story, everything stayed. Um, Heineck was a little, he was a little skeptic at first. Um, But he like his big thing was they definitely experienced something terrifying. And then more and more like they heard their story and everything. They kind of agreed that, yeah, it was most likely something of the paranormal phenomena. Is what they said. Um, You know, and that was kind of that was kind of it at that point. Right. They just left it at that. Yeah, that's that's basically where where they kind of left off. Um, Okay. It's better than them saying, like, no, it was an owl or right, no, yeah. it was swamp gas. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, what I'm going to, uh, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. Yeah. To a point where, um, so, uh, Calvin, in 1993, Calvin took a fishing trip. Um, He told his wife, like, I'll be home, you know, after dark. Uh, And this is like 11 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, he goes out. He's he's going fishing. Um, He goes, he goes fishing. And next thing he knows, he wakes up and it's 330 a.m. Oh, shit. So he's driving home, like, worried. Obviously, his wife is most likely worried about him trying to yeah. figure out what happened he's like well you know he assumed like maybe i just fell asleep and that like maybe the heat whatever else yeah. um so he ended up tra- you know he's trying to figure out this lost time um he ends up telling uh telling somebody about it who suggests that he reaches out to the one and only yeah say it bud hopkins fuck so and they go to this like convention or something that bud's like he's 
he's at and talking and about butt shit. Um, and so he's like, Calvin's like, you know, I don't want to go in there. I don't want people knowing me. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to associate that. I don't want them to associate this with me, whatever else. So needless yep. to say, they meet up after the fact. And Bud uh, does does hypnotize Calvin. He's successful in hypnotizing him. Uh, okay. Allows him to kind of push back to those incidents in 1973. Um, you know, just to kind of recall some of that. Because to make a long story short, Cal- Calvin also told a, I guess, lied, quote unquote, the fact that he remembered anything. Because he initially claimed that he passed out and didn't remember anything until they were back in the riverbank. Gotcha. Come to find out years later, like, yeah, he, he ended up lying about it. He did remember some things. And then by the, 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 the hypnosis session with Bud Hopkins helped him to try to just recover some of that, which re essentially reconfirmed what he already remembered. Yeah. So he also tries to help him uncover some of that missing time in 1993. And so what had happened is, yeah, he had fallen asleep and he had initially woke up with blood on his shirt. Okay. So that was the other big thing. He fell asleep yeah. and he was out there like, and I, I want to say, you know, it was probably three, you know, whatever, somewhere afternoon, like little late afternoon. Yeah. Um, And he wakes up with blood on his shirt and it's 3.30 in the morning. So yeah. yeah like so, 12 hours of missing time. Exactly. Um. So needless to say, like, while under the hypnosis, he remembered basically being abducted again. Okay. And... 20-year anniversary. Right, yeah. Basically. So, basically, he was able to pull out in the incident from 93. Um, He was essentially abducted again while he was out fishing. Because apparently you're not supposed to go fishing. And he ends up seeing the same <laughs> woman being from before. Okay. Um, the same one that, you know, played with this hangy ball on the back of his throat. Did she have her forklifts with her? Uh, well, so, uh, yeah, so he, like, placed him placed him back on the table. He felt, like, that, like, injection almost and felt, like, calm. But he, like, finally kind of started to come, too. And... So, finally, he, like, gained, uh, apparently, ability to, like, of his motor functions, and he, like, grabbed her and grabbed her by the throat and started, like, choking her out, and he, like, slams her against, uh, there's, like, a mirror where he could, like, tell that there are people behind watching, like, you know, almost like a... Yeah. Like a... Two-way mirror. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's, like, slamming her, beating her head against this mirror and stuff, and she's, like, bleeding... And he says that, like, she's bleeding like this, like, black, this black stuff is how he described it. Weird. And, uh, you know, and it's, like, coming out of her ears, and apparently one of those those robotic, uh, you know, brawlers ends up, like, uh, ends up coming back and injects him with that same stuff, puts him back on the table, and, you know, he's, like, paralyzed again. And then, um, all of a sudden, she starts, like, pulling thoughts out of his head. Like, almost yeah. like everything he knows, um, everything he's ever seen, everything he knows, starts putting images in his head about, of course, the future, the destruction of mankind, and the the end of the okay. world, and 
apparently all of these, um, you know, all of these things. And he even mentions at some point, and this is maybe like my way of interpreting it, and it might be entirely incorrect. Um, but he ends up seeing people being essentially possessed, becoming possessed, and most likely take you know essentially taken over, most likely okay. from these alien beings in the future coming to interesting, you know. Um, and so he can basically see points in the past, present, and the future, and then all of a sudden just completely goes black, and he wakes up at three thirty a.m. Damn. So, yeah, I mean. Had a little bit of a tissy with the, you know, this little alien girl apparently, but Christ, yeah, I, right? yeah, that that got pretty dark. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, but at the same time, like he says, like I'm looking for the door, I'm looking for the exit because I'm taking her with me. I don't care if I <laughs> die, I don't care what happens. He's like, I'm just trying to get out of there, and I'm taking her with me. Wow. And that's when he's injected and paralyzed. Yeah. Interesting. So pretty crazy, yeah. And that was, of course, the the hypnosis session with Bud Hopkins. But he didn't have like an ongoing relationship with Bud Hopkins, no, right? No, like not he at didn't all. he nope. didn't go back or spend a bunch of time with him. No, no, it was uh like yeah, it was that I mean, you know, somebody somebody the new Bud wanted to put him in contact and Bud was curious and decided to hypnotize Makes him. Sense. Yeah. Because even in the '90s, this was this was a classic, considered a classic case. Yeah, you know? I mean, so. especially the the fact that this took place 20 years ago, and yeah. he's experiencing another. He's experiencing this loss of time. You know, I bet I bet Bud Hopkins was like drooling over the idea. Oh, with without a doubt, this dude. Guy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is this is Lennon Napolitano time as well. Yeah, this is like true. the tail, like yeah, just the tail end of her of her abduction. Yeah, that's true. Man, the '90s were big for that guy. Yeah, right. He was a busy, uh, no wonder, a busy flim flam man. <laughs> no wonder he had so many drawings. <laughs> he just always had to stack the deck. Oh, what a dick! <laughs> so yeah, I was uh, I was kind of looking forward to talk about Bud Bud Hopkins here. Just yeah. to uh, yeah, see what uh, see what you thought about that, but I think the situation's a little bit different. You know, I don't think he's yeah. like, and I mean, and if you listen to, because you can also listen to the interview with uh, with him and Bud Hopkins or the the hypnosis oh, okay. session, um, it's yeah. available as well. And Bud's like, you know, asking like, what does she look like? You know, does she have curly hair? Does she have straight hair? Like, you know, just yeah. I mean, they're all very basic questions. He's not okay. like trying to coax him or you know coach him into yeah. like one way or the other. Uh, so I yeah I was, I was pleasantly pleased with that I guess. Does he ask him to draw any symbols? No, no, he didn't have to draw any symbols, but <laughs> they probably would have looked the same. Otherwise, he would have he would have changed them, them to look the same. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, you know traditional Bud Hopkins fashion. I just imagine that while he's sitting there doing the hypnosis session, he has his little his little notepad he's just doodling. and he's just yeah he's just drawing <laughs> symbols and then afterwards he's like look at these symbols that came from this session <laughs> whoa yeah wow oh wow looks just yeah. like the last ones weird i that's crazy now that you now that you say <laughs> that i i think i remember that yeah i mean yeah of course you can tell anybody that's under hypnosis this happened and this is what exactly you, you showed me this that's what makes it so crazy. Right. That's what makes the hypnosis such like a 
an unreliable source. That's why I'm, I'm you glad can literally... that there was audio of this one. Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah, yeah I, would, I would have been like, oh man, the same bullshit again. Right, like he took a, a classic case and turned it into a fucking action movie. Right, exactly. Scene. Yeah, no, yeah. but this is, this. I mean, this is exactly what Calvin's talking about. And that's where he's talking about like this, it's bleeding, this black stuff. And, and yeah, he even weird. says like, I'm taking her with me. You know, I'm trying to take her with wow. me. I don't care if I die. I'm taking her with me. Wow. Like he's like, yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's straight, straight from him. So, yeah. I'm going to listen to this after. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'm- yeah um but yeah so i mean that i thought that was pretty that was pretty nuts uh, and the fact that uh, this is a return and he's you know same same yeah alien girl um and then know. it happened like on the 20 year anniversary i think is cool yeah yeah i mean it's basically t- yeah 20 years which is yeah which is kind of nuts and it, the same same situation almost yeah, the fishing. exact same setting right like you said, I guess you shouldn't go fishing. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. This guy should probably give up the angler life. <laughs> Just saying. I wonder if he ever went fishing after that. If you go fishing a thousand times and get abducted twice, that's too many that's times. That's too many times, exactly. <laughs> it Once is. is too many times. Yeah, agreed. But, I mean, you're not always going to associate fishing with abduction. Unless it happens again, and then that's a pattern. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, they kind of deserve it because what the fish is experiencing is essentially an abduction. Like they live in this like aquatic world, right? And then this thing comes down into their world and just sucks them up out of it. But that fish chose to to bite onto that hook, right? Yeah, it was being taunted with something sitting on the dock, right? They're like floaty blue light, isn't that cool? Come and and they're get like, me. gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Jesus. So after they're being fished. After the fact. Um, so you know, like after all this this happens, it's almost 50, 50 years later, whatever. Um yep. and people start finally surfacing, telling like people recounting these events, you know, people cooperating the like, you know, they they saw this too. They saw this UFO in the sky over this area. Um, Interesting. I have a, I have, I have a few a uh, few kind of uh, specific ones that we'll talk about here. Um, one was by by the name of J. Michael Long. He um, he uh, did the documentary um, on the Pascagoula abduction. And okay. he's uh, he's like the host narrator or whatever. Like he's the one interviewing right. all the people. So he actually had he saw it in Ellisville, um, just after dusk. He said he was about twelve years old, and he was just playing football on the road. He ends up uh, throwing the football. He has to go you know, go retrieve it, and yeah. happens to look up to see this large ball like of orange light. Flying through okay. the sky. It's moving essentially southward, just overhead of him. And he said basically at that instant he was paralyzed with fear. And he watched it for about 15 minutes as this object came in and then kind of settled and then eventually went out of sight. Um, and then there was another, another person um, in Loosedale, Mississippi... Uh, she was uh, by the name of Susan Snow. She was walking her dog 
uh, her dogs. Uh, it was yeah, on October eleventh, nineteen seventy three. Uh, but they are walking around the river, um, and this yeah. is of course Loosedale is uh, just a few minutes from um, Pascagoula. Pascagoula. And so, but she happens to notice a essentially a light coming from the north and heading in the direction of the south. And she watched as it kind of zigzagged through the sky, like back in one direction, back to the other, and then eventually stopped. And she said it looked like a band of multicolored lights that rotated, and they were mostly blue, uh, mostly like blue and white. And she said she watched it stationary for roughly about 15 to 20 minutes, and then it just immediately shot off in the opposite direction. That's crazy. Yeah. And so all this is happening at the same time as you know charles and and calvin's um abduction or their their encounter yeah um another person by the name of lewis lee uh also in pascagoula saw a round blue object with white and blue lights um he was a crane operator and he was uh his crane was being was being operated on and he was basically just watching the guy as he was operating on it and he happens to see this just blue light in the sky yeah, and so he said that it basically had kind of rays of light coming off of it as it hovered off the ground, and he, this was actually really close to where Calvin and Charles were, and yeah. he said that he saw it just hovering off the ground, and this was the exact same time as their encounter. So he doesn't he didn't actually see them doing you know see them being abducted, but he happens to see this craft like sitting stationary at that same time. Now, there was one more, uh, Judy Branning. Uh, she was 27 mm-hmm. and from Pascagoula. She was sitting at a red light, and she noticed a light in the sky, of course. You know, this is roughly, I think, before or maybe after after that time period. She thought at yeah. first that it was an airplane, uh, but because there's a nearby airport a little a little while away, but, she, you know, they were they were very scared because it was very close to the ground. You know, they were afraid yeah. it was going to crash into the ground. And basically, as they watched it, the lights didn't resemble that of an airplane. They that actually looked quite a bit different. And so okay. she noticed one major bright light on the craft. And then all of a sudden it became very close to them and be, it was completely silent as it literally went over their car, kind of stopped over the car. And then shot straight up into the sky, and then at that point she knew that it was a UFO. And she They're said, "Like that, these aren't fishermen, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah." And she said that that was roughly around eight forty-five to nine o'clock uh, p.m. that day or that night. Okay. So, yeah, like I said, that's, I mean that's crazy. That's a bunch. Like, when did all these start coming out? These, I mean, these started coming out. I, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, it's been it's been a little while now. Um, were these all in the document in that documentary? Yeah, these are all in the documentary. Yep. Okay, so it took someone going around asking. Well, like, there, I guess there was a there, there was kind of like a meet group or something like a meetup group that a few people, um, you know, sat around stories. and right and had stories to talk about, and then they kind of started talking to other people that came forward. They had a story, and it became this okay. group of people. And of course, then they were interviewed for the documentary. That's awesome. Yeah, which I, so, especially that second to last one, the people who saw it like in 
right there by where they got yeah, that was, abducted. Yeah, and I mean, they like I said, they couldn't see them actually being abducted. There was one story that I came, or one witness that I came across, and I didn't have much of the information on it, so I didn't actually write it down. So, but basically, they said that they saw the whole thing happen. Wow. And watched them actually being taken by these beings and taken on board of the craft and then it disappeared. That's crazy. But like I said, I don't know how much authentic like authenticity there is right. to that or if that's like kind of just one somebody that just wanted to come forward and maybe top everything else. Yeah. You weren't able to check out the details on that right, one. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was I mean, I came across it in like one of the articles. Yeah. And that was it. And it really didn't go into de- like any any more detail than that. So, okay, that's but, crazy though. That's like I'd never heard those those yeah. accounts. I need to watch that documentary. No, yeah, it's actually it's really solid. Um, and it's just it's really cool to like because I mean everybody's like you know, but they were they they were like yeah I told my parents or I told you know some of my friends and family, but they everybody like said not to go out and tell people because. At this time period, you know, people are going to look at you like you're crazy, or yeah. you know, like it, this wasn't this wasn't something that was talked about then. So, you know, everybody chose to keep it to themselves. And once this starts coming into the light and everything, you know, they're finally, I guess it's now, you know, now it's it's more appropriate and it's not a, not as frowned upon, right? So, yeah, not even close. Now you say you saw an alien, and people are like fuck yeah what happened right tell me about it that sounds awesome especially ufos you know like it's almost commonplace at this point yeah and so yeah just kind of crazy i thought i thought it was awesome that uh you know they all can kind of kind of corroborate the story a bit more and you know are are placing themselves at these different areas around or in pascagoula at the time that this happened so it just makes it that much more authentic i think yeah, agreed. It's you don't, you know, you don't always get that. So it's cool when you when you get like a group of people who all saw even if they're not all exactly the same, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing because a couple like um who was it uh J Michael Long, he saw it as an orange light. Yeah. Others saw it as a white light. Um one even saw it as kind of like a multicolored band. Um but yeah. like they all had theories on it like I, I think one of the theories was maybe as it entered the atmosphere, like it was orange upon coming in and as it cooled down and got yeah. in the area, it came more of this blue light. Or as we've talked in the past, we've talked about some of these, some of these UFOs, some of these crafts being able to change their colors depending on their speeds or what they're doing. Right. Sure. So th- that was, that was what I immediately thought. Like maybe this is, when it's you know just kind of hovering not going too fast or something maybe it's a blue like you know because i know we've we've went through a couple of the colors and i can't remember exactly what they are now um it was one of the previous cases that we talked about a while back but uh yeah i think it was um oh the cop um is that the one yeah i think so because the the color changed as they chased it as right, yeah, it was, it. yeah, it was something like that. Yep, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, man, all I think these are was, starting to blend together. This was the one that was in the that was in the. Um, oh, what was it? Was it in the UK? I think it was in the UK. Yes. 
Yeah, and several different people were like driving behind it, chasing it. Yeah, and it was yeah, different and, like, colors at different speeds. And then speeds. that's the one that had the big like I think it was like the triangular craft that like covered off yeah. the ground on that farm. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I I tend to like the more woo woo explanation, which is I, the UFO looks different for who like depending on who's looking at it. Yeah. Because different like people too. need to see different things. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's the yeah. way that it's presented to you to look the most acceptable or right to get your attention right. or I, yeah, whatever. I, needs I love to that happen. idea. I I think that's yeah. uh you know, it's almost more it's it's more personal, but it's more yeah. like mental uh like almost yeah. like mentally manipulating essentially yes yeah which it's the whole conscious contact right concept. exactly yeah. yeah yep dude this story is way better than i thought it was yeah sweet like like i said at the beginning i've always kind of related it to like flatwoods but this story is way deeper i buy this a thousand times way before i'd buy flatwoods <laughs> yeah and again, and I apologize for all. all you Flatwoods, Flatwoods lovers out there. Um, there are a lot of them. I know there are, but the story, come on, it's silly. Yeah. This story is actually but the, good. But the Flatwoods monster's aesthetic is hard to beat. Oh, I agree. Yeah. 1000%. That's a great looking monster. dude. Yeah. It's awesome. And I love the whole, like yeah. the smoke coming out of like this area, oh, yeah. you know, and it's like Very up on this theatrical. hill. Yeah. It's awesome. But yeah. do I buy into it? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> what about this one? You buy oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I think I'm. I think I'm definitely on board with this one. I mean, there's there's so much to it that just. Yeah, I I mean it just to me it just it's like I'm I'm into it. You know, I'm here for it for sure. Yeah, agreed. I'm right there with you. Awesome. I'm I'm actually impressed. Yeah. That's uh, I, I know some of the, some of these, especially these kind of crazy ones. But again, there's so much that goes into this one that, yeah, it makes it almost hard to top. I think the reason I buy it is because there actually isn't a ton to their initial experience. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, it's that. very like agreed. Yeah. Especially you had one guy who was into talking about it, one guy who wasn't, but their stories still line up. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I I like this one. Yeah, I do. Agreed. Well, I look forward to having a t-shirt of it. I, we're going to have to get one, dude. It'll be <laughs> yeah. awesome. Especially with those weird mummy, oh, yeah. weird robot robots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want a scene. I want the scene of the the girl, alien, him laying on this glass table, and then, like this robot like leaning yeah. down and nudging him with this pointy end. <laughs> 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 maybe not that but because uh, yeah. i, I, I want to be able to see the whole guy but still we'll we'll workshop yeah yeah we'll have to <laughs> <laughs> but expect some shirt design eventually absolutely all right man thank you for this story that for was sure. awesome for sure well i think that's going to wrap up episode 88 the pascagoula abduction thank you thank you thank you from the bottom of our weird possibly alien maybe ghostly probably cryptid hearts for listening We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials, at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, 
at Campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And trust in the unknown. unknown.